was given was given to the Jews, those people set apart for good service. The Jewish people to be set apart were those people who God said, you know, this is the example. If you wanted to get to know me, Yahweh, you watch these people. And these people are going to try to follow this lifestyle. In fact, I'm going to give them laws and regulations so that when you see those people, you'll see me. That's a, that's a lot of responsibility, right? The Jewish people were caring for the world, the light that was upon the hill. And for the Jewish people, it was important for them to follow the laws and the regulation. But Jesus, in this passage, he's relocating the authority from the scriptures to himself. He's saying the written text of the scriptures is now in me. God's presence is now in Jesus. His life, his future death and resurrection, all of that is pointing ultimately to God. So Jesus himself isn't replacing the scriptures. He's not even leaving the law, but he's giving people a new lens to see God. The lens is the new interpretive structure that Jesus is saying, hey, it's not the preaching or even the law. In fact, he's not saying we're not going to violate the law. Verse 17 of this very passage, right? It says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus is saying, we're not getting rid of the law. I just want you to think about it differently. So he's asking his disciples, and he's asking all those people who are following them, to check their inner lives, check their motivation. A couple of weeks ago, Sally and I, I've spent six hours at our church. We had an Enneagram. Um, and I know it's controversial. Some of you guys don't feel great about that. But if you take the Enneagram at the best um, heart level, uh, the woman leading the seminar for the, for the day, she said, what are your motivations? What is it that you, why is it that you do what you do? And I won't tell you my number, and I won't tell you all the stuff that we got into. Um, I think some of that's really helpful, actually. But I started thinking about, what are my motivations? Well, mostly my motivations are me. You know, that's where I start. I kind of like starting with me. Um, I think Jesus is saying, actually, it's not about you. It's about God. Um, And and as simple as that is, it it kind of reminded me uh, this week. Um, So Jesus is kind of reshaping it. He's, He's saying, check your inner lives. Check your motivations. Where are you coming from? How do you respond to the law? There's a uh, speed limit sign uh, around town. You can pick your favorite. Um, When I first started driving, um, in fact, my first speeding ticket um, was in the summer of 1981. And I was approaching the fish hook. And I'm in my 1963 Volkswagen Bug. And I'm going to the beach. It's it's running well. And you know you're supposed to slow down because it's got the little 55 there. And you know, I might have been doing like 63. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, CHP got me and I, I pulled over there and, uh, I wasn't as respectful as I could have been at 16, but, um, you know, I remember getting the, the, the ticket and he said, the law is the law. And I, I thought, well, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure how you feel about speeding signs. The speeding sign is the one thing, the sign that doesn't change. It's got the number. You know the ones that got me just at the moment are the electronic ones? Mm, are you with me on this? They take the actual... I think this is showing your real heart. The camera that shows you your real speed. And then there's the flashing. Oh, by the way, you're doing this. And then there's that little blue light there that's reminding you, we could arrest you. 
we should give you a ticket, right? What you're doing right now deserves a ticket. I think that's what Jesus is after. Because it's not the law that's important. It doesn't really matter what the law is. It it matters how you interpret the law for yourself. A lot of you guys will drive five miles over the speed limit. Right? Don't tell me, 17, that you're driving 50, 50 miles an hour. Yeah, there's parts of 17 that are supposed to be driving 50 miles an hour. It's how are you responding to the law? How are you, what's your motivation? How are you interpreting it? So in verse 38, Jesus is getting right to the point. He brings the people right into it. He says, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Whatever unjust actions that you have used to cause pain or injury to another person, this is what you need to be considering. Exodus 21:22. You have heard that it was said. So Jesus is referring to a couple of Old Testament passages. Exodus 21:22. Horrible example, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Two men are fighting. They're having a fist fight. Unfortunately, there's a pregnant woman walking by. Because of the way these guys are acting, she gets injured. This is an Old Testament example of when this person, this woman, she might go into labor. If the child dies or she dies, the guys who hit her while they were fighting were put to death. Wow. Old Testament, right? It's heavy. If she gets hurt, the one causing it is responsible in equal like measure. Are you, are you with me? If you're fighting with a guy and he gets his eye knocked out, and apparently this is where they fought, after the fight's over, they knocked your eye out. That kind of changes the whole scenario of the fight, right? I don't know if you guys have a bar fighting background, but if you know if you hurt somebody in a bar and some and somebody else gets hit, yeah, I'm with you, Russ. I know what's going on there. If somebody gets hit, then that's on you. Right? That's what the Old Testament is talking about. So when Jesus brings it up and he says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, they get it. They know what the Old Testament was saying. So he was saying that, you know, there's going to be people who can be victimized by powerful others. Be it a pregnant woman walking by or somebody who's completely innocent. The concern that you should have is for the needs and the goods of others, not your own rights. So there's a couple examples here. He says he gives an example of a backhanded insulting blow to the face. Right? When the guy gets slapped. And he also brings up this court case where a man is literally losing his shirt in court. And his toga-like cloak on the outside is to be given as well. But, you know, um, legally, uh, the commentary said back in the day, legally you couldn't ask for that cloak to be given. Because that was considered your sleeping cloak. You know, that was considered your sleeping bag. You're wearing your sleeping bag. You can take it out of court, but you couldn't take his outer garment because he might be needing that to sleep in. And Jesus here, I don't think, is advocating public nudity. Let's just let's be clear about that. But he's basically saying the example is, hey, if the guy wants your shirt, give him your shirt and take off your outer cloak as well. Well, just so you know that if that happened, that person would also be arrested for public nudity, for shaming other peoples with their nakedness. So I don't think Jesus is advocating here literally that we should be giving our outer garment. But the heart of it is being used. And I think the heart of it is, is there. So let, let's not go run around naked. I just want to be clear on that. But Jesus is saying, let's not insist on our own rights. Ours is to rely on God. 
And then Jesus' last example, of course, he's talking about the Roman soldiers, and this would have brought up a complete response from the crowd, because the Romans are those who are oppressing the people. And he says, you know, you should carry this for me, and you should carry this the next mile. Remember Simon carries the cross for Jesus? Same scenario. They get Simon, they say, Jesus, take his cross, and he, he carries the cross. And then that's done. So what is their response going to be, those people listening to Jesus' message? You see, the laws were given, and most times people had to work out how they were going to respond to it in the broken world that they were in. They weren't happy about the Romans, for example, but it was how they were going to apply to their heart. So, And that's true for us today, right? This me-centric world that we live in, our one-day prime world, we touch a button and we get stuff. This is the world we live in. It's very easy. We don't shop anymore. You can have people shop for you and bring it to your door. You can shop in Saudi Arabia and have it droned into your apartment. Stuff's going on. I'm not sure we're even going to leave our houses soon. You know, I don't know if that's good or bad. I really think it's not good. But, you know, what about the rights of other people? The culture we live in, the Bay Area, and the closest we are to the me-centric world, we need to be confronted with some of this stuff. You know, what about the rights of others and setting your own needs and rights aside? This is downright un-American, right? This is not what we do. When I was a missionary in Tanzania, I had a married student and his family, his wife was pregnant, and then things were, uh, they were struggling a little bit with the pregnancy. They were concerned for her health. And I saw them at the end of the day, and he was completely frustrated. And I said, how's it going? He says, well, I just spent the day at the hospital with my wife, but we couldn't see uh, the, the, the doctor. I said, well, what was wrong? He says, well, they, just, they wouldn't admit us, you know. So I said, right. Seven o'clock tomorrow morning, be at my house. You and your wife were driving to the clinic. I mean, it was a long way outside of town. They had to physically get there. They got back. We drive there. Spend three hours at the window number one. Name, check in, everything. Three hours. I get fed up. I go into the hospital for the admission window, and I get to the second station. I said, who helps with pregnant women? They said, so-and-so, he's busy right now. I said, well... You know, we've got a situation, and we need some help here. And uh, you guys don't get any of that. And uh, so, you know, I kind of argued my way in, and I, I bullied this nurse a little bit, you know, because as an American, I, we, we, this is a government hospital. People have a right to be seen, right? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, oh, sure. We get to the, past the next nurse's station, we actually get to the little waiting area outside the doctor's office, and... She said, hey, the door's closed, and he's in there, and there's probably, I don't know, 20 people waiting. Well, now it's five hours since we got there, right? And I'm getting a little concerned about the health of my, of my student, but at the same time, I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. So I wait for the door to open, and I see him make eye contact with the doctor, and I said, hey, how's it going? He goes, yeah. And I said, I've got a woman who's pregnant, and there's some things going on. She needs your help. He said, all right, you should bring her to me. I said, okay, all right, now we're getting somewhere. So I go all the way out the system, passing hundreds of people that are in the hallway waiting. And I get the, my students and, and, and his wife, and I said, the doctor's going to see you now. And they looked at me like, what in the world? How'd you do that, right? And I get back to there, and in the waiting room, all the people were looking at me. Now, they weren't upset that I'd cut in line. They weren't upset that 
we got to go into the, the doctor's office there. What did they think? Just another foreigner taking advantage and misusing power. They assumed that I had bribed everybody to get in there. And in one doctor's visit, I wiped out about a year and a half of my testimony in, in, this, in this village and in this town. Because I wasn't willing to go through the system. Now, in the end, she needed the help that day from this doctor. I still feel pretty good about this. But it took a while for people to find out that I didn't bribe on the way in. And praise God, I didn't. Right? Because, again, this is the gospel. But what, is it, what does it look like when you set this, your needs aside, when you, you give up your rights to, let, to rely on God for other things? It's a tricky thing, right? As an American, I'm like, no, this is a government hospital. You have a right to be seen. You need to get in there. And I, I, I think that it's a hard thing for us to give up our rights, to willingly give up your rights. But Jesus is talking about unconditional love here. He's talking about God the Father loving people. So Jesus is reminding us that love does not retaliate. Here we go. All right? Leviticus 19.18 Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this next section seems crazy to me. Jesus says this, Love your enemies. Right? It's impossible. So who would you consider your enemy right now? You've got to pick a couple. I need a name. A name in your head. Uh, I need a boss. I need a government. I need an institution. I need uh, the, the next door neighbor who just built that huge fence to hide his RV, right? The one that he just bought. And it's going to be like that thing you look at now from your kitchen window, right? Who's your enemy? And um, what do they look like? What if this passage, though, wasn't about your enemies so much as about God's enemies? Because the context of this verse, it's actually talking about an enemy is defined as something that was against God's laws and principles or the will of God. This verse, don't forget, is talking about the Israelites back in the Old Testament. You see, we get upset when we get offended or things that are personally uh, bothering to us and we, we think that that's an enemy but the context of this this verse is actually about God's enemies you know historically for the Jews it was God who kind of named enemies Psalm 5 5 says this God hates all who do wrong those who don't follow his laws or try to keep his laws For the people of God the Jews were set apart to follow those laws so anybody who's not following God's law where it's kind of an enemy to God those who weren't doing his will So an enemy is anyone who is against God, who doesn't follow the laws of justice or mercy or love. And so in a sense, the Jews were on the inside, right? They're the insiders. And then there's the outsiders. There's those on the inside. They were kin. They were family. And then there was those on the outside who were opposed to God. Love Jews and hate outsiders. Oof. that, That doesn't sound right, right? That sounds pretty... Love children of light and hate children of darkness? This is Old Testament language. What if I was to say, it's better if you love light and hate dark, darkness? Well, it's a little bit better. What I'm driving at is this. In fact, I appreciate uh, Judy's example last week when she's talking about the hardship on this marriage. 
She said, I hated the enemy. I loved that phrase. I was just thinking about that this week. You know, she's frustrated with the situation. I hope this is okay, Judy. I, let me affirm you. That was a great message. You know, she's saying at the heart of this is, 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 is hardship on the marriage and there's, and there's evil in this world. There's evil in this world, but it's, um, it's the enemy, ultimately. It's that which is opposed to God. Really, it was at the heart of it. That's the real enemy. So Jesus goes on um, to talk about uh, his authority as the son of God and what it means to follow him and to love God and continue to do his will and to pursue his righteousness. So remember Luke 10, when the lawyer questions Jesus, right? What's the lawyer asked Jesus? He says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers with the good Samaritan is my neighbor, right? Do you remember? And who is the good Samaritan? Well, the good Samaritans, Samaritans weren't pure Jews. They're the ones who mixed Judaism with the rest of the world. And so they were kind of in a subcategory. A lot of Pharisees and Sadducees, a lot of kind of pure Jews, they like to take the Samaritans and kind of make them on the outside. And we do this, right? We put people on the inside and the outside. Who's with us? Who's against us? We're not talking politics this morning, but you know what you do. This is what you do, right? You, you don't like people who speed. You don't like people who don't speed. Um, it, it, this, is, this is what we do, right? There's people on the inside. There's people on the outside. But the neighbor was the outsider in Luke chapter 10, right? That's the neighbor. The one who many people identified as the enemy or as somebody who was opposed to God. It's kind of hard for me to hate. I have a hard time to figure out he, actually who the, the enemy is. Satan's the enemy. Um, but we project this onto people, right? We decide who the enemy is. Um, I was reminded of a situation I was in in Tanzania when I was teaching at the Bible College, men and women. Uh, same uh, example as before. I had a fellow uh, colleague. His name was Kamoyo. And um, Kamoyo, at one point, um, my wife was working with the books. Uh, she was the treasurer, and she was training uh, two of our colleagues um, in the books and some money uh, was mishandled and uh, Kamoyo blamed my wife in a staff meeting but didn't just blame my wife accused my wife and said some pretty heavy things and I went alright here we go you're talking about my wife and then he kind of by association said you know and all of those missionaries who regularly have robbed from us and he kind of went on a colonial uh, I, I felt it was a little unfair to put all of the colonial misdeeds on my wife's shoulders, but that, that's kind of what happened. And I started thinking about him not as a colleague, uh, as a fellow uh, brother in Christ, as an ordained minister who was serving at a Bible college to prepare men and women to serve the church. You know what I saw, started thinking about him as? As an enemy, right? And I had conversations in my head. Have you done this? You've probably done this before. For those of you who've been married, you, you have a conversation with your spouse in your head. Your poor spouse might not even be there, but you're asking them questions and they're answering, and then you get yourself worked up. Have you done, have you done this? Okay, that's a different sermon. This is what I was doing with Kamoyo, and I made him my enemy. God reminded me that this isn't an enemy. This isn't somebody on the outside. This is kin. This is family. This is a brother in Christ. And you know what God reminded me to do? Start praying for that person. Because, yeah, I was offended. But being offended by somebody doesn't mean... I felt like I needed an apology. I'm American. 
I've had my rights. But God is reminding me, no, you need to let God, let me, by the Spirit, resolve this. You need to be able to think um, more lovingly towards this man. I still wanted an apology, right? I still went to staff meetings, though, and eventually we got to the truth of the budget, and, and it, was, it was found out that my wife wasn't um, uh, losing money. It was, unfortunately, it was the vice principal at the school, and uh, it was a little awkward. But, you know, Kamoyo never apologized. He never took back the words uh, that he said. But my heart needed to be aligned. My heart needed to be in the right place. What was motivating me? So it started with prayer for me. Um, God softened my heart and I started praying for him. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't stand up. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't stand up for injustices. But I don't think that this is um, God's enemy. I made him my enemy, but he wasn't even my enemy. He was a fellow believer. I'm supposed to love, though, even the hard ones. Right? That's what God's calling me to do. Those who, and we'll take other examples, but there are people who, even though they're doing bad things, seem to be blessed. You know, they, they continue in wrongdoing and get away with it. Those, that's the worst for me, right? Or those who are making lots of money by oppressing other people or looking out for their own best interests. You know, it doesn't make any sense sometimes, but this is what the scripture says, verse 45. What's it say? He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's God's son and it's God's rain. This is an agricultural society. Sun and rain are very important things. Just like in Tanzania and Kenya and places. If it didn't rain, we didn't eat. If it didn't rain, we didn't have enough crops even to sell a little bit to buy the uniform to send your kids to school. If it didn't rain, everything shut down. Rain is a big deal. When you see rain in Scripture, pay attention. When you see the sun and the rain in Scripture, this is God's blessing. I don't know what the sun and rain is today, we love sunshine. We could certainly use some more rain. We're mildly aware of how much rain is associated. We're mostly compared, you know, rain with how much snowboarding we can do. You know, that's the kind of level we live at. But when you're in an agricultural society and your context of Jesus and the people following him, yeah, rain's a big deal. God loves impartially. God loves unconditionally. You know, he opposes evil, but he's still a loving God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Matthew 19.19, love your enemies as yourself. It's the same word. This is the same word. Love as you have been loved. Did you get that? Love as you have been loved. So those who are followers of Christ are children of God. Amen? Nathan's already preached that sermon this morning. He's a sinner. But he's been given grace and God's love. He's a child of God. You encouraged me this morning. You know, those who follow Christ, um, our conduct matters. Um, you know, people see us. We're called little Christs. Christians means little Christs. Little people who are, are trying to em, uh, emulate the, the actions of the one that we're following. And the world's watching, Right? The world is watching. I, I, I did enjoy the Super Bowl. I didn't enjoy the result. I don't mean to bring that up for that reason. Except at halftime I was struggling because of the show. And it was just like a lot for me. And, you know, I've got teenage kids and we're just kind of figuring it all out. 
the thing that bummed me out the most about the halftime was uh, one of the dancers, uh, and he was with the, and there was, you know, a lot going on there. And uh, he was wearing a cross. And I just thought, you know, I don't know how many millions of Muslims around the world are watching the Super Bowl right now, but no wonder they get mixed messages, right? I mean, we try to reconcile these ideas of a cross and, and what's going on on stage, you know? And then we're talking, I was talking with Amy about, we're trying to empower women and have women's rights, and then, then we've got this going on, and, and, uh, and then we got this guy doing this thing, and we got a cross in there, and I was like, gosh, this is tough. This is an imperfect world that we live in, you know? Um, and and it, it, it was kind of heavy for me, but I realized what Christians do matters, and how you act as a believer matters. Um, and and um, anyway, yeah. And how we treat each other uh, matters. Because there's God's love and there's grace. And people need to hear about it. Uh, Brother Nathan. So, we shouldn't just love those who love us, right? That's the easy thing to do. Even the tax collectors love the people who brought their taxes. And by the way, just so you know, Matthew is listed in the scriptures in chapter 10 um, as, a, as a tax collector. Did you guys know that? So he's writing within the context of, of what he's saying here. And the tax collectors, they sold out. These are the guys who then went to, on behalf of the Romans, right? We know this. And they sold out. And um, people didn't appreciate them very much. So if you choose to love, you need to love even the tax collectors loved. You don't want to love the easy ones. You don't want to love the ones who are bringing you help. You need to love the unlovable. And uh, we are, uh, need to be who we're called to be. You know, this is what God's promise of the kingdom is going to be. That one day face to face, we will experience God's mercy and love. We need to love now so that we can experience that in the future. But we're also get to experience it now. And we get to be blessed now. So God can help us take down some of those walls and heal relationships. Right. Do you believe it? You've got to believe it. And then you've got to work on it. And you've got to give some of that stuff back to God. And because, you know, if you're having those conversations in your head, about your boss or your enemies or your neighbor, whoever it is, and that turns into bitterness. And bitterness can grow. And next thing you know, you're brick by brick building walls. You've got to say to God, help me take these walls down. Help me knock this stuff apart. It's bad for your health physically. It's bad for your relationships with your family and other people. And God doesn't want us to live that way. God wants to experience joy and hope and peace and to be ambassadors as well. So it's not always um, building the walls. In fact, uh, we're supposed to be taking them down. And God's calling us to love. We're going to love because we are children of God. We're going to love because we're spiritual Jews. We are the people of God. We are the Jews. Those of us who are following Christ, if you consider yourself a believer this morning. And uh, God is saying, what you do matters and how you act matters. And my love is going to come through you in your life. So, what was Jesus' answer to the question, which is the greatest commandment? Right? Matthew 22, Jesus answers, love God and love your neighbor. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So people need to know God's love and to be reconciled to him. Nathan's message this morning. This week I was looking for um, uh, a church directory. And so I was just going through some papers in my, in my office. And I, I found... Um, the uh, mission statement for CLC and the values of this church. And the 10 value statements uh, were, this is a few years ago, and I, I, I'm not trying to be controversial. I was encouraged. Um, 
uh, the ten value uh, statements or were written through Second uh, Corinthians five eighteen through twenty. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the message and ministry of reconciliation. That was my first message to us as congregation when I came. Second uh, Corinthians five eighteen through twenty, and I was encouraged. I was encouraged that. Um, This church in its history has blessed a lot of people. And there's going to be good things and are good things. And we have to trust that the best is yet to come. And we know that God uses his church. And we know that there's been hard things and this is a hard season and that's okay. And it's okay if we're feeling some grief and some loss and some heaviness. But it's also okay to feel hope and encouragement and to look forward and know what's coming next. And my prayer and all of our prayer will be, God, what is, do you have for us? And how are we going to get there? We're going to get there together. And amen? Yeah, that's really good stuff. Um, let's let God love others through us. Because God desires to reconcile relationships. So if you've got relationships here that need to be reconciled, if you've got relationships outside of church that need to be reconciled, start praying for those people and see what God does to your heart first. And if you've got some enemies out there, you've got to figure out whether they're enemies or not. God does have enemies, right? The enemy is real. Um, but if this is, are these people have just offended you or you've been put out because you didn't get your uh, prime package uh, in one day, it came two days later. You know, we need to work on some of that stuff, right? Um, it should start with us. Um, and now the last verse, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, we were doing so well in this message, right? And then we got, then we got this. Um, so this is impossible. This is how you feel. Until you look at the word and what it really means. And this is the best part of, you guys are giving me a gift. I get to squirrel away and chase every little academic rabbit and do some of the history and the languages, and it's pretty cool. So the word perfect here is teleos. And teleos means this. Listen to this. Teleos means it's brought to its end. It's finished, it's complete, it's mature, it's grown and having all its parts. You're like, okay, get to the point. The message says this, verse 48 of the message says this. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Grow up, your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Mm, That we can do, right? Be mature. Do what you're supposed to do. Be perfect sounds like, oh gosh, of course we're never going to be perfect. This side of heaven, we're we're not going to make it, right? But if God's saying be complete, go for it, be mature, do what you're supposed to do, live it out, okay, we got a shot at that. I'm still working on the Beatitudes. I'm a few messages back. But I'm still going to preach the word. And you guys, by the Holy Spirit, can can respond to it. Matthew 19. The rich young man says to Jesus, I've kept all the laws. What do I still need to do? What did Jesus answer? If you want to be complete, if you want to be perfect, same word, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, then follow me. That was a bummer for him. He's a rich guy. I know. Some of us think we're rich. Some people don't. If you own a car, 
and you have an electric switch and you have a flush toilet, sorry, you're rich. Bummer. And we can get into rich sermons another day because we, we really are rich, by the way. Um, but we just need to be reminded of that. So that's what the word means. It means to be complete. So I'm still working on it and you guys can work on it, but we'll do it together. So let's get away from the insiders and the outsiders language. Let's even get away from the enemies. Let's pray for those who've offended you. God has got an enemy and we can identify that enemy as, as what it is. But let's try to associate the enemy and dissociate with those people and pray for those people, right? Pray for those people who have offended us and let's build each other up in Christ. So let's let go of our need for revenge or demanding all of our rights, um, needing me to write all the time or every time we felt wronged by someone, let's let some of that go. Stand up for justice. When things are wrong, do it. If you've been personally offended and you need to show your, that fault in the other person, you can do that. But I want you, and Jesus is calling us, and those on the day, to think of others first. Make sure you have the right lens on when you're doing it, right? How much of my reaction to this is me and my hurt, and my need to be right, and my affirmation? How, how much of that can I let go? Um, you know, how much of this can I show in my actions? Love is shown in actions. Um, so we need to start praying, right? And we need to see what God's going to do with that. And then let's ask God for his help and compassion and mercy and love. Amen? Amen. I'll ask um, the worship team to come and lead us again, and then I will uh, close this in a benediction. Please don't rush off, though. Uh, we have some uh, a time together as well. Be blessed. Amen. Thank you for sharing this word with us this morning. Would you please rise? Let's sing this song together.